2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. joined as always my co-host Nick Falatto. Today we're coming to you. Thankfully for me, at least, it's the first time we're recording during the draft when it's not close 3 a.m. at night. We don't wrap this thing up at 4:15 a.m. It's a nice sunny uh, 5:30 p.m. right now. Nick, I do a little bit of work after the draft. That's all good. I'm just happy it's not nighttime. Today, what we're going to do is give our quick reactions and thoughts on the day three picks. But like any day three of any draft class, we need more time and we're going to take more time. We're going to recollect our thoughts. We're going to look more into these players because we didn't study these players like we studied the day one guys. That's just never going to happen. No one has the bandwidth for that type of thing. Uh, Certainly not Nick or myself, at least not people who aren't paid to do that. Like the scouts, I'm sure, and the Giants have that bandwidth. But we're going to collect. We're going to read more. We're going to learn more. We're going to watch more. and then tomorrow. We'll do a podcast kind of giving our overall thoughts on the draft, conceptually 30,000 foot view, but also individually talking a little bit more about these guys, maybe some UDFA signings that trickle in. But today is going to be just about our initial reactions to each pick made on day three and then their overall process and their overall strategy. Because so They didn't really feel like they had one, in my opinion, at least they definitely had a strategy for day three. So let's start there, Nick. Well, How did you feel coming out of day three? If Did you feel like the Giants had a strategy and you think they executed it? Yeah, they had a strategy. They they had
1: their guys that they wanted, and I feel like a lot of them are high upside individuals who probably won't play all that often in 2022. I think it's a lot of looking forward to the future type of selections. I think maybe Dane Belton can, can see the field, the, the second pick in the fourth round, a, a solid amount just because the Giants don't have a lot of depth at safety. But I think a lot of these guys are more so going to have their impacts in the second, third, fourth years of their contract.
2: Yeah, I think the strategy was interesting going into today. It was, to me, a double down on what we saw a little bit of in day two. And again, day one, pretty easy. They had six guys they coveted, six guys they felt were blue chippers, and two fell into their laps. There's not really, you can just, you know, wipe your hands with it. Good job. We did well, but it was very hard to screw that up. If you got six blue chippers and two of the six are available to you at five and seven, it's easy. Don't trade back. You take your blue chippers. You believe in them, and they're at premium positions. On day two, Things change. And on day three, I thought we saw more of the same, which was the Giants are valuing players differently than the rest of the NFL. And that's fine, because as we talked about last night, there's a different scheme and system and philosophy they have in place that they want to endure that they want to you know put out here. And they believe that these guys can develop. And one thing they've stressed throughout this draft process is age. Another thing they stressed, as we saw today on day three, which I thought was interesting, is athleticism. Everybody they drafted in this class, with the exception of Neil, because he didn't test, but would have been a freakish athlete. I tweeted about it yesterday. Alabama director said he was the most freakish athlete they've had from an offensive line standpoint in a long time. These are the relative uh, athletic scores. Thibodeau, 9.63 out of 10. Robinson, 7.35. And again, Robinson, Wondell Robinson, if he didn't have the you know, zero percentile arm length, wingspan, height, weight. He would have been a not, probably a nine plus relative athletic score type of athlete because his agility is great and he still has that four, four, six feet. Azudu, 8.34, which is really good for alignment. Flot, 9.45. Bellinger today, 9.66, the tight end they took. Belton today, Dane Belton, the safety, 8.92. McFadden, the linebacker at Indiana, 9.46. Davidson was one one relative to let it score, but I think we have an idea. He kind of broke the mold of this entire class. He's 25 years old. I think you tweeted, Nick, the only old guy they drafted, basically. And I think he's just in here to fill that nose role that they just need. They just don't have bodies to play nose within Wink's defense, really. And they just need someone to do it. And then McKeithen seven point one zero, but I mean, look, six foot six, three forty. They're going for something there, and then finally Beavers comes in at nine four seven. And I thought Beavers was a better athlete on film than people give him credit for. A lot of people see him as like the like you, you know, and he is that New England old style thumper, you know, the the uh, what's his name, the kid over there has been there forever on the inside of that defense, even just like what we had last year, Reggie Ragland type. But I think he has more speed than people give him credit for, and more versatility. So one thing I thought was interesting, Nick, that bore out today and throughout this draft. And it's something you harped on for two months. And I tweeted about this because it really stood out to me. Shane preached, and he said it over and over, so we probably should have listened to him, Nick. And Joe Shane said, we're going to stress versatility and dependability. Every single pick they made pretty much stressed versatility. A lot of these guys can play multiple positions and dependability. A lot of these guys didn't miss time with injuries, didn't have other off-field things that kept them you know, all, you know, know, all out of games. So versatility, dependability, and age. These are important factors, developmental prospects that they believe can be better players in the future. So I thought all that showed today, and I was really excited to see what they did. One thing I want to get your take on, though, Nick, you know, we say the best teams draft BPA, right? I think the Giants drafted BPA, but they also drafted for need in this class. They only doubled up on one position, and it was linebacker a position they desperately need. Other than that, they really hit everything they needed with the exception of running back, um, and obviously some would argue quarterback, but with exception of those two positions, they hit every need in this class.
1: Yeah, they didn't address running back, which is something that I think we expected them to address, but they came top of the third day with Daniel Bellinger out of San Diego State, and he is somebody who kind of is like a Cade Otten who went at the top of the third day just before Daniel Bellinger in the sense that he can be a why you can use him as a big slot, and he's an effective quarterback blanket in the short to intermediate parts of the field. And that's exactly what we were looking for. And I think something that's even more interesting is Bellinger doesn't have to play in year one because they have Aikens and because they have Seals Jones, but I think he can if he proves himself enough. Now, I think all these guys kind of fit into that mold, as I kind of said before. I think Beavers is the interesting one that you brought up I thought he was a little stiff on his tape. I didn't realize he was going to test that well from the tape that I have seen. Still need to do a little bit more work, and we'll kind of go in-depth on that tomorrow or the next day, as we kind of alluded to before. I think Joe Shane and Brian Dable, they have their board like every other team, right? There are guys that we may feel like are better in terms of just their overall football profile. But those guys might not even be on Shane's board. They might not think they're the right culture fit. They might not believe that they can come in and they fit the actual philosophy of what this team, this New York Giants team wants to do. Like, I'm not upset about this draft by any stretch of the imagination, but I am very interested to see how these skill sets are implemented. And that could take an entire year to manifest.
2: And we'll get into a lot of that, how we feel about the draft from now and for the future tomorrow. So I want to tip off a lot of that right now. But I will say this as we touch on this pick by pick. One thing I really liked about their first pick of the day, which was Daniel Bellinger, the tight end, is that he has a really good relative athletic score. It was 9.45. Actually, the best comparable from a relative athletic score standpoint was Travis Kelsey. (laughs) <laughs> the Chiefs, uh, you know, the third round pick from Cincinnati, who's been the best tight end in the league for a while. He's not going to be Travis Kelsey. I'm not saying that there's a lot that goes into a player other than his, just his relative athletic score. But the 7053 cone is outstanding for Bellinger. The freaking 10 uh, feet, five inch broad jump is insane. The 20-yard split, insane. The 10-yard split, amazing. A 4-6-3-40 puts him in, like, very rare breed for a tight end. The athleticism is there. And one thing I really like about this pick, obviously a few guys came off the board after him that me and you both loved in this pre-draft process. Jake Ferguson, a player from Wisconsin, we both liked a lot. Charlie Kohler, a player from Iowa State, went a few picks later. Both of these guys went a few picks later. Another player we liked a lot. k and went a few picks earlier. Player you you liked a lot. And so one thing I'll say is... There's been really good research lately that's shown that relative athletic score is one of the best actual indicators for tight end success. We've talked all about this in the pre-draft process, Nick. I spoke at length about how bad this position is. It busts all the time in the NFL tight end. There are a ton of wasted draft picks in the tight end position. I am not a believer in taking tight ends in the second and third round for the most part, unless you get, you know, unless you have those Rob Gronkowski's that fall due to injury, but you know, he can be the complete package kind of guy. Or if you just have great scouts, I can find a George Kittle earlier than the fifth round because Kittle kept falling, but there's so many busts in that second, third round range. And then if you get deeper, obviously there's going to be more busts. It's just a position that fails a lot at the NFL level. What they're finding is. One key indicator of future success is having athleticism that translate to the next level and having that relative athletic score. I believe the threshold they're finding is like above 7-5. So you're, if you're below that, you're really betting against the odds to be an outlier to try to become a successful tight end at the next level. And this kid, Daniel Bellinger, has that. He has the athleticism that translates to the next level. And for that reason alone, I'm very excited about this pick. I think they're onto something here. with regards to what he can potentially become. I think you're right, Nick. I think ultimately he's probably someone who is a developmental pick more than anything else. I've seen some comps to Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox took some time. People got to remember, Dawson Knox didn't break out right away with the Bills. It took him some time to get going. But this is a guy who has a 9.66 relative athletic score out of a possible 10. That ranked, according to Kent Lee Platt, math bomb, who does the relative athletic score, 35th out of a tight ends since 1987 that's wild type of stuff and so one final thing i want to say before turning it back to you matt waldman a guy who i love who breaks down tape is a big fan of this bellinger pick he thinks uh he thinks that he comes from a program where running the ball was elevated importance and that's going to help him at the next level when it comes to translating potentially as a blocker as well so i'm excited about this pick it was probably my favorite pick of day three
1: and there's also more room to grow as a receiver because he was in a system that was predicated on the run a lot of his receiving plays that you see is him as the backside h-back coming across the formation as the quarterback goes into the mesh point and then an rpo where they would throw the ball to him in the flat or a tight end screen not a ton of him you know stretching the field vertically and i don't really think he has that type of elite Speed. I think he is a good athlete, but I don't think he necessarily has vertical speed. But you want to talk about someone who can get open in the intermediate and short parts of the field with good, reliable hands that are over 10 inches. That's another thing. He has 73rd percentile hand size, which is important. He offers all that. And from the film that I have seen on him so far, the the run blocking checks out. He has a ton of core strength. There were several times where he was aligned on the edge to the play side, and he took somebody who was aligned on his outside shoulder, used his inside hand, and just kind of torqued himself to – create the the seal between himself and the c gap and allow the running back to run and that is a block that you don't consistently see executed by tight ends that type of grip strength core strength and the ability to torque through your hips to remove the edge rusher off of his spot to open up that gap so i like this pick to be honest at this area need to do a little bit more work on him as i said before but from everything that i've seen it's definitely trends in the right direction for me
2: He may not be as NFL ready in year one as a Charlie Kohler to do what Kohler can do over the middle or even in some ways as a Jake Ferguson in my mind. But ultimately, this isn't about the 2022 Giants. This is about the 2023, 2024, 2025 Giants. It's about finding the best possible players for when this team hits its stride. And I think he could end up being one of the better players. And easily, there's a path to me, at least, that he's a better player than all those guys because he has that untapped potential because he wasn't used very much in the past game because he has that untapped potential based on his athleticism and how it translates to the next level, which is very important. I mean, like you said, hand size, over 10 inches. He had 22 bench press reps. He's really strong. He has the frame. He's near just a tick under 6'5 and 253. So I mean wow, I really like the profile here and I'm excited about this pick and I and I'm just excited to get a tight end that has traits that translate. I'm a traits-based guy in a lot of ways as far as what I like out of out of players the Giants draft. I know it's it can go both ways when you're banking on traits, but especially once you get to this stage of the draft, I think it's really important and as I mentioned earlier, especially at this tight end position. It's been proven in recent years you know, with more data that's coming out that you need athleticism to make and to have any chance at the next level as a tight end, a position that, again, just busts most of the time. And so definitely excited about this one. Let's get to their second pick of the fourth round, which came nearly back to back, not actually back to back. They did have a fifth round pick that came back to back, which was funny and interesting. But this pick came a few picks later and it was safety Dane Belton out of Iowa, a big 10 guy, a guy who I think. Like you said, you mentioned he could play the most snaps of anyone on day three. I have another guy who I think will play the most snaps of anyone on day three. We're going to get to a little later, but I know exactly where you're coming from because I can see already that in certain nickel and dime packages, Wink can use him to match up with the tight end. And I think that's where he intrigues me the most is that slot matchup guy against bigger tight ends or bigger slots. Uh, what have you seen? Do you like this pick? So I do like the pick.
1: I think he is an interesting kind of study case. Still need to do a little bit more work on him. What I loved about him, and this is also a product of Iowa's system, Iowa always has these cornerbacks who, who come away with a ton of interceptions and these defensive backs come away with a ton of interceptions because they teach their cornerbacks to kind of bait the offense essentially and there were plenty of plays on film where you could see Dane Belton kind of over the top of the number 2 receiver who was running an outbreaking route and he starts to go with the outbreaking route and right at the break he just peeks back at the quarterback to see the quarterback's intentions and the design of the play is to remove Belton from that area of the field put him in conflict if you will and then the number 1 receiver will run a dig behind Belton and then it's typically open especially if the outside cornerback has outside leverage on that number one receiver. And there were several times on film where he realized this and used great timing and anticipation to bait the quarterback to throw. And then right as the quarterback rears back to throw the football, he breaks underneath the number one's dig route or whatever the route happens to be and gets a PBU or an interception. This happened several times on his tape. And I felt like that was translatable at the next level. But as much as I love that, it's also a hindrance because there are times where double moves get him. And there are times yeah. when the quarterback kind of knows that's coming and they bait him into baiting him. <laughs> and I felt like there were some blown coverages because of that. And there were some, some instances where he wasn't where he had to be. But overall, I think he is a, a an athlete who can cover in man on these tight ends, on these big slots. And I also think he's probably better off the line of scrimmage than closer to the line of scrimmage. Felt like his feet got stuck yeah. in the mud. I think he is – Physical coming downhill, too, in terms of run support. He had some frustrating missed tackles on the tape that I've seen. Gotta watch a little bit more. So I think he has a little bit of a work in progress type of label to him, but I definitely see the appeal of someone like Dane Belton.
2: Yeah, for sure. And something that I wanted to mention, actually, before we get, before I talk a little bit about uh, Dane, is just the time the Giants spent with these draft picks. Fourth-round pick Daniel Bellinger, he had a dinner with assistant general manager Brandon Brown the night before his pro day. Then they had uh, third-round pick Cordell Flott on the pre-draft visit. That wasn't even reported. And so, you know, they're identifying these mid-round guys that they like, Bellinger, all these players, and they want to spend some time with them. They want to get to know them. I think that's a big factor. We talked about this last night on the Day 2 podcast, but... The more time you actually spend with these guys, like actually put the time in, not like what we heard about last year with the Giants had some great conversation at the combine with Kadarius Tony at 1 a.m. They felt like they loved his personality. I'm talking about you take them out to dinner. You get to know them. You go to their pro day and you talk to them at their pro day. It gives you so much better of an opportunity to avoid finding yourself in another DeAndre Baker situation.
1: Yeah. And you can see this just if you go over to BBI and look at all these transcripts, you have Dane Belton talk about how he did multiple zooms and his last top 30 visit was to the New York Giants. And this is somebody who the New York Giants weren't sure if he was going to be available in the fourth round but he happened to fall at a point where they were comfortable in making this selection I think he's versatile I think you can align him in a lot of different spots he can play star he can align in the box you can have him play the deep half so versatility. It's something that we preach on this podcast. It's something that Wink Martindale is going to use. And we also talk about how Martindale uses every defensive person that he has within certain packages. And he's going to come up with so many different packages and a hybrid type of player like Dane Belton, who is solid in run support. You best believe he's going to be used pretty creatively near the line of scrimmage, off the line of scrimmage in a bunch of different ways.
2: And that's something Dable confirmed as well. It's not just what Shane has said. Dable confirmed that he was like, it was either Dable or Shane. I can't remember. This is one of the pre-draft pressers. He's like, yeah, you know, Talk, talk to Wink. You'll hear it all the time. He, he keeps telling me I need versatile players for my defense. And that's a great point by you, Nick, because there's going to be so many different sub packages that they use that feature a variety of these players. And you might see a guy like Dane Belton come in for a surprising amount of snaps. They're just not expecting, considering how often defenses are in nickel and dime at the NFL level. Over 75% for the most part at this point. The majority of defenses. Giants will be. Certainly one of them. I mean, you look at the numbers, and obviously the Ravens didn't run a lot of sub package last year. But that's because they had the injuries in the secondary. If you flip it back a year before, they were running a ton of sub package. I think most of the NFL and dying. So I think that'll carry over to the Giants. Some things I like about Belton, he, again, is an insane athlete. Another example of us betting on the traits here, the Giants. 9.35 relative athletic score out of a possible 10. That ranked 52nd out of 788 strong safeties from 1987 to 2022. The key numbers here, at least from an athletic standpoint, were his ability at six foot, uh, you know, at just under six foot one, 205 to run a four, four, three with an insane one, four, nine, ten yard split. A crazy 2.5 to uh, 20 yard split. And then the broad jump over 10 or over 10 feet broad jump and not a bad vertical either 36 and a half inches the explosions there the quickness is there the three cone was okay and the short shuttle was okay i think the change of direction isn't i isn't you know isn't elite by any means but overall the athletic profile when you consider the explosion the quickness and the long speed and the vertical leaping ability that puts him in, in in that range that i just mentioned 52nd out of 788 since 1987. so i really like the bet on traits i really like the profile one thing I want to add and the productions there, you talked about it. I mean, he had five interceptions in 2021. One thing I want to ask you about, which I think is interesting, it was a really zone-heavy scheme there at Iowa, and he's coming over to a completely different style of defense with the Giants and Wick Martindale. This is definitely a projection when you consider from that standpoint. Do you feel like he has the tra- – I mean, they obviously feel like he has the traits to fit the system. Do you think that's something that could take time, or do you think that's just more of something that he can pick up pretty fast?
1: So like I said, I need to do a little bit more work. I'm- yeah. But from what I've seen, I feel like his line of scrimmage skills when he is aligned and pressed, which isn't something he did too much, and every time he did, he was typically over the number two receiver in the slot. He would get his feet stuck in mud. He didn't really inch back and match, and I felt like it's something that got him in trouble. It got him in trouble against Wondell Robinson when Iowa played Kentucky in the bowl game, and Wondell Robinson went over the play, actually, I think yesterday, where he split the the deep half safeties in the middle of the field, open defense, the defender who was in man coverage on him or had the responsibility to carry the number three receiver which was Wandell robinson vertically was dane belton and i ended up putting that on twitter i think he has the man coverage ability to hold up the athletic ability i just think he's going to there might be an adjustment period but i mean they also run a lot of like pattern match type of concepts there i mean you've watched the illinois game watch the illinois game and you can kind of see where i'm at with dane belton in the sense that he comes away with great interceptions like the one i posted on twitter of him being the on the hash over the bunch to the field going with the number ended up being the number one post snap receiver but it was the number three pre-snap the flat route flipped his hips like he was going to cover that in man and then just sunk underneath the dig route to get the interception. But then later on in the game, you see him in the red zone, give up a touchdown where he just did not cover his assignment whatsoever, have some miscommunication issues. I'm not really hundred percent certain what happened there, but I think there were frustrating elements of his game, but that does not mean I don't like the pick. And I still have a little bit more work to do.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that you know we're going to both take some time to reflect and watch and learn more about these prospects but they're not going to be perfect players especially when you're getting you know these super athletes these traits based guys you're getting them for a reason because maybe the production's not there or there are warts on their tape that other teams have seen when you're getting super athletes this late into the draft again you're banking on the traits and that's fine for me because this is these are developmental picks to fit a specific system and a specific philosophy and I think the Giants are confident that they can do that and are confident in, the, in these players' ability to fit those those ways. So let's get on to the next pick the Giants made, which was my favorite pick of the day here, um, by far, actually. And it was Micah McFadden, the linebacker at Indiana. Let me start by saying this, Nick. I did not know much about McFadden before this. I'd seen him just from watching the Big Ten, but I didn't really know him as somebody who I felt would be a good fit or somebody who I was really like pinpointing. And that goes for most of these like round five and on picks. I'm just not going to know him in any class. I stand by that. I never will. I don't have the time to learn this deep into the class. And you, I don't know if you do, or you think you do, or you might, maybe every year as goes on. You can, you can hire an intern, Nick, and you can get to that point, but it's just too many players. It's hard to learn. But as I learn more about this kid, Nick, I've really starting to love him. And I really get the feeling he could be a Leo Chanel light type of pick as that blitzing linebacker who just, fires downhill and all you ask him to do is attack downhill and he says okay i can do it i can attack downhill and i can do it well he had 12 and a half sacks over the last two seasons and 26 and a half tackles for loss which is really crazy for a guy who has traits like that's you would expect usually in the old school nfl you draft a guy like this late at the linebacker position and he's just somebody who never translates the nfl because he doesn't have the athleticism to do it but this dude has the athleticism to translate I mean, he scored 9.47 on the relative athletic score scale out of a possible 10. Those ranked that ranked 130 out of 2419 linebackers since 1987. That's some crazy shit. And the 10-yard split, which was the craziest time. That was the 9.81, the one or 9.81 relative elite score athletic score. 1.54 10-yard split, Nick. That's you know what that is? That's Ryan Connolly numbers, and that's what the pick in a lot of ways reminds me of when the Giants drafted Ryan Connolly. In fact, his mock draftable comp, this is Michael McFadden, the linebacker at Indiana the Giants just drafted, is Ryan Connolly. And Ryan Connolly was well on his way to becoming a value pick for the Giants till the injury. I don't think he was ever the same player after the injury. He's kind of like a special teamer now. But some of these numbers, man, 4'6", 340-yard dash at 240 pounds, the 10-yard split I talked about, the 20-yard split is elite. 2.62 the three cone 6.88 and the 415 short shuttle that's elite change of direction as well the vertical and the broad weren't anything crazy the bench press wasn't anything crazy for linebacker but man oh man this kid has athletic traits that could translate the next level and more so i just think there's a plan in place for him he can attack downhill and he can play and so you mentioned earlier at the top of the podcast that, that dane might be the guy who plays the most snaps for the giants this year I actually think it could very well be Micah McFadden. I'm going to put my stamp on it and say I think McFadden will play the most snaps because it's not, to me, it's not that hard to break into this inside linebacker rotation. I'm just not a fan of Tate Crowder. I would imagine a new coaching staff is not going to be a big fan of him either based on the film that they watch. And so I really think there's a path for him and obviously potentially the guy they drafted last who we'll get to, to really find some snaps this season.
1: Super open path. From Michael McFadden. And dude, I watched his Michigan State tape, and he had this third and one play. And yeah, he didn't have to defeat a blocker, but he used such good snap anticipation to shoot the A gap and hit. Kenneth Walker in the backfield for a tackle for a loss to force a punt on the first drive. He also almost came away with an interception and coverage on this weird flea flicker that Michigan State attempted to run. And he was underneath and he kind of worked laterally to kind of match the, the route behind him and then got his arms into the passing window, almost came away with the pick in that game. Everything that I've seen from him, I still need to do a little bit more work on him, but everything that I've seen from him definitely tells me that he could possibly challenge Tate Crowder in training camp to be a starter next to Blake Martinez because he seems like a functional athlete who would really thrive in Wink Martindale's scheme. And I know we've said that a lot this pre-draft cycle, but dude, he has Leo Chanel type of tape to play against Michigan where he gets so low and he times his blitz through, I think it was the A-gap where he hits the center's outside shoulder and the guard's inside shoulder at the perfect time while bending and getting so low to just out-leverage them both while using a rip move to shed the center and just sheer power to discard the guard to get the sack on the Michigan quarterback. That is just impressive stuff right there in terms of his ability to pressure and penetrate. And when you look at his PFS stats, he had over 30 pressures this year. He had 32 pressures, he had 28 in 2020, he had 31 in 2019. So it's something that he's used to doing within the construct of Indiana's defense. So I think that's an excellent call by you when it comes to him possibly taking over for Tate Crowder. Now I I need to watch a little bit more film to see how he is keying and diagnosing, diagnosing and all those things. But from what I've seen so far, I've seen a a damn good football player the Giants might've gotten at a good value there in the fifth round.
2: Yeah. Especially when you just consider the schematic fit, it is interesting to me when it comes to McFadden, because just how, you know, the the similarities that I see in his game to a player like Leo Chanel, it just tells me like, at least makes me think Nick, like, damn, if it had fallen a little bit and Chanel wasn't one of those like final third round picks in the comp draft, would the Giants have just taken Leo Chanel with their first pick of the fourth round instead of the tight end they got? I think it's very possible if he fell another six picks or whatever it would have been. And I think it would have been another like 14 picks. I think it's very possible that he would have been the pick just based on, you know, them drafting McFadden. But it's just something I'm thinking about and something I always consider as we move forward. But, you know, he found himself a nice fit with Spagnola, so I can't complain.
1: No, you can't. And there was this one play I saw, and I had to watch the whole game, but there was this one play I saw against Ohio State where he kind of he had deep middle-of-the-field responsibility, not safety-wise, but kind of like a Tampa 2. I don't think it was a Tampa 2 defense, but just think of the middle linebacker role in that sense. And the number two receiver was Chris Alave, and he worked underneath that route, and he almost got a PBU, but the throw by C.J. Stroud was just too good. But I wanted to ask, man, and I don't know if you watched enough McFadden to uh, give your opinion here, but he might be a little bit more fluid going backwards than all the Yeah.
2: I haven't watched enough to know that, but based on just the relative athletic score, I was actually going to bring this funny. You just mentioned this. I was going to ask you if you thought that, because just based on his (laughs) testing, he seems like that. And from what little I've seen right now of him, again, not enough to know, I feel like when he has backpedaled, he does look a little bit more fluid. He's not as, bo- he just doesn't look as boxy as Leo Chanel. He's also not as big as Chanel. So that's part of it. Like he's not as big of, he's not as strong or big as Chanel. And I think one of, the be- one of the big thing differences in their game just overall is that Chanel is much better at keying and diagnosing and much better as a run defender. He was, like I said, the third highest graded run defender PFFs ever had. And he mm-hmm. it showed up on his tape. I don't think you're getting that with McFadden, but I think you might be getting a better pass co- you might be getting a better pass coverage linebacker and in today's NFL that might at least the Giants be worth more.
1: And that's also a might. Uh, again, we'll yeah. in the next in the coming days we will go over these guys in a much more extensive manner.
2: Yeah, they were drafted 60 picks apart so I think and you know a lot of people actually expect the to go earlier so it is what it is there on that front the Giants are moving on and I really like this pick with Mcfadden. This is my mo- this is my favorite p- I I'll go back and forth between him and Bellinger but these are two of my favorite picks of the class by far.
1: Yeah, in terms of the day 3 guys, yeah, absolutely. I'm
2: I'm saying in terms of all the guys not including obviously day 1. I mean you're yeah. taking two blue chippers, but uh we'll talk about it tomorrow but there's day two had my most questionable pick and I just I'm trying to come around to it I really am but I'm just it's just gonna be hard for me it's gonna be really hard
1: (laughs) it's it's difficult when you you're banking on an outlier who's an
2: outlier for
1: a lot of different reasons
2: uh, it's that's and that's that's made more difficult, at least for me, as I'm trying to wrap my head around and I'm trying to come to it when that pick is within the top fifty. I'm okay banking on an outlier outside of the top fifty outside of the top seventy five. But in that range, especially in the class that we knew was so loaded with talent from thirty to sixty it's 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 tough. I know what their vision is. I understand what they like, and I'm and, I, and I'm sure he'll prove me wrong. But well, as we'll talk about a little bit more tomorrow when we do our overall thoughts, I just that that that's certainly not gonna be my favorite pick of the class. I could say that with certainty.
1: He's definitely a fun player. I'll give him that, but it it, it is something that must be discussed.
2: And we will. And we definitely will. Let's get to their next pick, which, again, like I said, the outlier of the class by far. One went against the entire class from an age standpoint. The Giants have been drafting young, 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 young. Bang, they drafted 25-year-olds. Two, it went against their whole philosophy from the relative athletic score standpoint. They had been drafting athlete, 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 traits, 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 and then boom, they get a 1.70 oh, relative athletic score. One of the worst athletes probably at his position in the entire class. And that's DJ Davidson, the defensive tackle at Arizona State. And You know what? I don't care because this is the range you take these types of guys. This is a guy who we said, oh, McFadden might play the most because he has such an easy path at linebacker. He said, oh, oh, Dane might play the most because he's an you know. It's just he can play in so many different ways and so many different sub packages over the tight end and the deep half as any kind of safety that, you know, Wink can craft up. But honestly, ultimately, Davidson might play a lot for this Giants team just because he's a big body who can play the nose and they need someone to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I got to watch more film on him. The little bit that I have seen, he seems like he has a little bit of juice for somebody who's in the 320 pound range and he seems to use his hands pretty effectively. But I haven't done nearly enough work on him to really give an honest opinion.
2: Yeah, sure. And that's fair. I haven't done much work on him either. I just think he fits a role and that's fine. And he fits a knee. This is, this to me was definitely a need based pick. They needed to, when, if you're going to run that defense, that Wink Marndale wants to run, you need some bodies in at nose. And I know you could find some guys late in camp, but at least this is a guy who they think, like you said, might have some juice and based on his age, you know, might offer more than some washed up veteran who they're just going to fire in on the nose. We all experienced what that was like last year. When the Giants signed the dude from Detroit, um, forget it. Uh, Damian Shelton. Shelton, yes. And they signed Shelton from Detroit. Like, we all experienced, oh, this is going to be great. Shelton really fits. And then it's like, nah, shit, this dude sucks. It's just <laughs> like every time he's on the field, it's bad. He's old. He's washed. He's no longer a player. There's a reason why he signed the vet minimum. And literally 17 to 20 other teams who run odd fronts weren't interested in him because he's done. And that proved itself true. I think this guy at least has a better chance to not be that, right? So that has me excited.
1: Yeah, Davidson has 80 and 5 8 inch wing, wingspan, which is 67th percentile, 33 inch arms, which is 42nd percentile. And like you said, percentile wise, the only thing that there's nothing that's over or testing wise, there's nothing that's over 50%. There's nothing that's over 33% in terms of his testing, I don't believe. Now, his hands are in the 64th percentile, and his weight is in the 89th percentile. But like you said, this is just going to be a developmental dude who's going to fill in for Justin Ellis whenever Ellis retires or leaves, or if he's washed like Danny Shelton, you can maybe try right. the kid out. I that's that kid.
2: Yeah, you nailed it right there, Nick. I think you've... You just hit the nail on the head there. That's the key. If Ellis isn't what they expected him to be or isn't still what they knew him as, well, now you have some insurance. You have an insurance plan to put at a position you need. You can't operate this defense without it. So. I like it. I'm fine with the pick and they come back around in round six and they draft another offensive lineman here. And what did we say for the last three years of covering this team on the podcast? Can we just have one off season where the giants load up on depth and competition on the offensive line? It's exactly what they did. And well, again, that's a bigger, larger point. I want to touch on more tomorrow. So I don't want to you know, spill the beans or get too deep into that. But as far as the player they selected, Marcus McKeithen, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. He is a, big motherfucker. I mean, i don't know. sorry to curse, but he is a big bad dude. This dude is, is huge. What is he? Six foot six, 348? That's insane on the inside of guard. He is a classic guard. And actually, Emery Hunt, who, again, does some work with CBS Sports, he's a huge fan of him, has not rated as his fifth best guard, said in the run game, he's patient with his strike, and is able to rake defenders out of the gap. On pulls. he's able to take a good track to the defender and accurately strike. This is part of his strength. He said excellent patience and polish of the position, understands pressure, twists and stunts rather well, and will always be in a position to pick off pick up and pass off excellent length for the position and uses it rather well when executing reach blocks combo blocks and when it's when it's to get a hand on the free rusher but he said areas improvement there are certainly times where you can get caught in a bad spot due to lunging uh, we, who have we heard that before about and just has to remember not to be married to his reach and to bring his feet with him at all times but some career accolades for McKeithen. He was a 2022 NFLPA NFLPA collegiate bowl he made. He was a two-time honorable mention for all ECC. So potentially a solid player. And again, the second lineman they took from the same program over there at UNC.
1: Yeah, so I watched a lot of Zudu last night, right? So a lot of what you just said checks out from what I saw. Now I wasn't studying McKeithen, but he, you know, I'm watching the film. I still see number seventy three out there moving around, and there were a couple of clips I put up against Florida State that I that stood out to me because he is six foot seven, just about six foot seven, you know, a little bit under it. He gets low, man, out of his stance when he wants to, and the dude unlocks so much power through the ground, and he has that kind of ability to just move dudes when he is blocking down. He really, really is the mountain of a man that I feel like has the power and strength at the point of attack to hold up, to steer, goop from the backside, reach from the front side. I feel like he has enough foot speed to do that. Now he's not as fluid as Zudu is. He's he's a little bit more of a power-based guy, and I would also say another note that I had that, Also checks out with what Emery said. He gets his chest in front of his feet a little bit too much. And that's an issue because it's going to lead to balance problems at the NFL. So that's something else. And I'm going to have to go through UNC tape again to really focus on him.
2: But one thing that's interesting to me about that, Nick, and what you just mentioned that's a similar issue to what we saw on tape with Evan Neal, and one of the issues that we believe, because I've spoken to you about this, and I know you for sure believe this, can be improved on and can be fixed at the next level. And clearly the Giants, who drafted two players who have that same concern, believe that their position coach, Bobby Johnson, and their entire system, that the way it works, can fix that, can improve that issue. He's another work in progress just like Azudu. These guys may not play at all in year one, and that's okay. These are developmental guys who may need time to do things like improve their lower half and improve things like that, like lunging, getting his feet in front of him too often. That's fine. He has time. You can take the time with these guys to really let them become the players that they're going to be and not force them into action. And I think that makes them really valuable. And I'm curious if you think and we could get into this more tomorrow, but I'm just curious. We can throw it to you now. Cause again, obviously you haven't watched much tape on him. None, none of us have time to watch. We haven't had time to watch this dude by at this point. Um, and he wasn't really on our radar before the draft. But what do you think about the giants off season in general? Now having drafted two guards in the draft and all the guards they signed, what does that mean for the incumbents, the Ben Bredesons, the Shane Lemieux? Cause we got so many guards on this roster right now and Maybe they keep three or four at most if they believe one can play swings, can play center at at times and help there. At most, they're keeping four of these dudes. So what does this mean for the guys who were inherited from the old staff?
1: I mean, the old staff had
2: a historically bad offensive line. So I think no one's job
1: is safe. They brought in all these veterans to kind of help patchwork. I think they're going to allow Lemieux and allow Bredesen to compete, but they're not Certainty locks at this point I mean you add Azudu Who I feel like could play in year one I think he could beat out Max Garcia I mean Max Garcia probably has the inside track But Azudu has a lot of interesting film And he's I'm much more excited about that pick than i was when they made it just because i didn't know that much about him and then with mckeithan he could be a practice squad guy for all we know i'm not sure if he's going to to make the final roster i don't don't know how they value him but i I mean there's a lot of intrigue they might not want to try to squeeze him onto the practice squad just in fear that somebody's going to come up and and, and snipe him and they did spend a fifth round pick a late five on him, I think is going to be interesting at that point. They have no marriage to Shane Lemieux, no marriage to Ben Bredesen, and neither were overly consistent on their film. So they could be put on notice here. And I can't wait to kind of dive into it once training camp rolls around. There's going to be some really interesting battles going into camp.
2: Yeah, I know, right? Like Shane Lemieux, you said, like, you know, Max Garcia might have the inside track to start, right? Well, we're, we're penciling Glowinski. That's a for sure. That's obvious at right guard. We have our right tackle. We got our left tackle. Left guard's just like heated position right there because Lemieux could might maybe have the inside track to start if he comes back healthy and looks good because he wasn't a bad mover in space, and that's what they want now within this new system. That's obviously they're, they're putting in a priority now on guys who can move in space, so he may have the inside track. I don't know. It's interesting, though. This Bredesen, god damn this Bredesen. He was like, I just have this bad feeling Bredesen's getting cut, and what the hell did we get out of that fourth-round pick? A guy who barely played last year, was injured, didn't offer anything, just another one of these just jam it out, you gotta find someone. Oh, we gotta get Billy Price. We're panicking. Oh, we gotta get Bredesen. We're panicking. You're dumping fourth round, an early fourth round pick for Bredesen. Like you just, just can't make those moves. Thank God, the man who made that move is gone, and those days are over. It seems so different, man, with Joe Shane. That's just. I will talk more about this type of thing tomorrow. But God, it just felt like there was no panicking. There was patience, and there was a plan here. This entire offseason, throughout this entire draft, they. I felt like throughout the past four years, there was so much panicking. And that just didn't I didn't feel any of that tonight. A lot of people like, oh, maybe, you know, there was a moment of panic when he took Wandale Robinson because he wanted Andrew Booth. I don't think that's the case. I think they freaking loved this Wandale Robinson. They believed he was one of the 44 best players in this class. So I just didn't feel like there was any panic in this class. And they've really done a great job with this pick of adding so much competition and depth to the interior offensive line. And that's where you need it because the tackles are set in stone. You don't really need competition there. It'd be great to have a nice swing tackle there. I'm kind of hoping Matt Pear can just find a way to come on later in his career and just provide an excellent option as a swing tackle. But as far as competition and depth, you don't really need it. You hope these guys can stay healthy and no one's beating out Andrew Thomas or Evan Neal, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that pick that was traded from Bredesen was 110, which was two picks before Bellinger was selected. And it was Daniel Philele to the Ravens, which that is the most Raven pick in the world. But it just does make me think, man, because there's still a lot of dudes who were available at that time. No, there was so much talent on the board at that time. I know, man. I mean, just some names that we've gone over on the podcast, Amir White from Georgia. I don't know if they would have went that direction because they didn't go with a running back. But you had Jalen Onmar Davis out of Alabama, Michael Clemens from Texas A&M, Damari Mathis from Pittsburgh, and then Jake Ferguson, Charlie Kolar, but they ended up going with Bellinger anyways, so I'm sure they would have went in that direction. But it is one of those things where it's like if Bredesen ends up just being a stinkeroo, I mean, that's just another just, just absolutely disgusting thing on the resume of Dave Gettleman.
2: Yeah, th- those days are over. I'm sorry to even mention it. I'm just annoyed as we went through this draft because it felt like that sweet spot of talent was still there at that range. That's the thing. And I knew that was going to be the case. It fell off a little bit to me as we got into the 130s, but like it was still there then. And so just let's keep that in mind as we move forward. Don't make these types of trades. They're probably not good. You <laughs> just keep just don't do that. No panicking. No panicking. Necessary. And that's the good news about what Shane did this draft. He traded back. He acquired a lot of picks for depth. And that's going to set them up so they don't have to panic, right? So they're not in a position like they were last offseason where, oh, my God, we don't have anyone to play center for us. Oh, my God, we don't have anyone to play guard for us. And so they won't be in that position anymore. And it's crazy they ever got themselves in that position. But the good news is they just won't be in that position because they've really done a good job of building out the depth on the offensive line this offseason. That excites me for sure. And isn't it nuts, man? And not to bring back bad memories of last year, but like it was so
1: obvious that they needed to make investments in the interior offensive line. Like idiots like us were saying it. Like everybody was saying it. And then it was literally just cockiness. And well, we have faith in our guys more than you do. And it's like one injury and you're screwed. And that's exactly what happened. I don't know. It still frustrates me.
2: It is. Of course it frustrates you. The reason it frustrates you is because it's not hindsight it's not (laughs) hindsight 2020 no this is not an example of that we called it out for five months everyone with two sets of eyes knew that they needed to build out depth that offseason and they go out and build no depth out because they quote-unquote like their depth and then what depth they didn't even have any depth to like they just love their potential starters and jane lemieux and just like it's just yeah it is what it is we're not even gonna get into it now and will hernandez was one of those guys by the way who they quote-unquote like more than everyone else how the hell do they have 2018 film, 2019 film, and 2020 film on this dude, and actually feel like the breakout's coming in year four when he moves to right guard. Just crazy stuff from that staff, but it's gone, it's over. <sighs> Take a deep breath, we're past that point. And anyone could blame Joe Shane. Oh, I didn't like his day two. Guess what? From a philosophical standpoint, and just from the fact that he's not doing stupid shit like that, like that old regime is doing, he's already taken a big step forward in my book, and that's already gonna that that will make a big difference for this. Franchise moving forward as far as wins and losses go over the next five years, at least in my mind. Let's get to their final pick of the draft here. It was a linebacker out of Cincinnati, their second backer of day three. So after missing out on kind of that big group that went towards the end of round three, I was sad, I was disappointed. But I kind of think they recovered here with a couple guys I like one really good scheme fit in McFadden and then one guy who I just think was an overall great value here at 182 in Darian Beavers, the linebacker out of Cincinnati. I mean, a lot of guys had him as an early round four pick. I saw somebody who tweeted out uh, a big board, Luke Luke Easterling, who works uh, who works the draft for draft wire and for the Bucks wire. He said he was his 90th overall player on his big board. So he had a round three grade on him. And so he felt like he was an absolute steal. At 182 overall, a lot of people like him. I think there's versatility that people like about him. He might be able to play a little edge for them. You might be able to play a little inside backer for them. What have you seen so far? And do you like the Beavers pick?
1: Yeah, I like the Beavers pick a lot because you can do a lot of different things with someone like this kind of reminds you a little bit of Donta Hightower and Kyle Van Noy. That's why I, I joked, I think on this podcast with the fact that I'm like, dude, this guy's going to be a New England linebacker. He just kind of fits that bill at six foot four, 237 pounds. I feel like he tested a little bit better than maybe his play speed would indicate, but I don't think he was an absolute stiff out there either because this is somebody who was versatile enough to align on the edge. You can use him as a Sam type of linebacker. Felt like within the tackle, within the confines of the tackle, he was always pretty damn good in terms of coming forward. And he's very, very heavy handed and has the play strength and the power to stack, shed, remove. He had this play at the Senior Bowl that kind of stood out to me in, in coverage that made me be like, oh, because I never really thought of him as a coverage type of guy. And I am gonna have to, I watched a lot of Sauce Gardner. I watched Kobe Bryant. And I watched a little bit of Majai Sanders. So I saw Beavers, but I didn't really study him. So he's another one that we're going to have to go over a little bit more extensively. But from everything that I've seen, this area of the draft, I absolutely love it. And I think, again, Wink Martindale can find a role for this guy and maximize the skills that he can bring to a defense.
2: Yeah, I think you're spot on here. I think, again, it's a scheme fit. It's a system fit. It makes a lot of sense. And guess what? This is a guy who has better athleticism than people realize. You've tweeted it out. 97th percentile wingspan, I like a lot. 88th percentile broad jump, that's more explosion than you expect from it. And 91st percentile 37-inch vertical. Sweet. How about an 80th percentile three cone? I don't think anyone was expecting him to test under seven seconds in the three cone. and He put up a six, uh, th- uh, 6.91 three cone. And like you said, 53 stops in 2021. That screams value to me. Good athletic score, good producer, all the way down the board in round six here. So I really like this pick.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see how Wink is going to use him, McFadden, and even the guys who are still on the roster because you still have Cam Brown, you still have Carter Coughlin who are sitting there on the roster. I don't know how much they're going to play, but there are certain personnel packages that Patrick Graham would use where they would feature those two. They would put them at the edge. They can put them at linebacker, and they have that kind of positional versatility. And the way that Wink Martindale likes to scheme up pressure, guys with those quick – start stop ability like a cam brown like a carter coughlin they can really fit and i think beavers can be somebody that's going to be uniquely used in terms of the stunts when they do want to run and twists when they do want to run those four man pressure packages because you can align him have him be the penetrator he can generate a lot of force into the outside shoulder of a guard to free up a loop coming from the nose or from the backside one technique say a leonard williams or even someone smaller in an obvious passing situation you can get some solid pressure in that manner as well Yeah.
2: Well, I love it. That sounds really exciting to me. All right, Nick, we're going to, again, dive into a lot of 30,000 foot few stuff tomorrow. I'm going to talk about all the more on day three and the entire class and everything like that. But anything else specifically on these prospects to quick reaction wise to get out there now that you didn't get a chance to cover? No, not as
1: of right now. I'm excited to get into the film and really formulate my, my full evaluations on these players.
2: Love it. All right. Thank you to everybody tuning in for our entire draft coverage. We really appreciate it again. Podcast coming tomorrow, recapping everything. Then more next week. We're going to try to have some guests. I've been looking into this. I've been trying to reach out to some people, some guests on outside of the Giants bubble to kind of evaluate the Giants draft for us and give us maybe some grades, some thoughts on the picks, and how they might fit the system, and who they might have been able to take over them if they would have preferred. Things of that nature. So keep it locked and loaded. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.